HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Tego. Every other week, we'll delve into the world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. So welcome, welcome to Item 13, Ivani. Thank you. Yeah, this is, I'm excited to talk to you. I know we had a pre um, podcast conversation so there's going to be a few exciting things I think we're going to be talking about we're going to be focusing on food media and um, the representation of our community and then also from your perspective as a food writer of course and so Mm -hmm. I wanted to first start talking first start with who you are who is Bonnie tell us a little bit about um, yourself Uh, that's a great question um I'm a lot of things, but (laughs) (laughs) for the purpose of this podcast, um, I am a food writer, I'm a copywriter, I'm a food blogger, I'm a lover of food, I love to talk about food. Uh, Food is my life. I don't know whether that's a good (laughs) for this this podcast, it's a good thing. Um, I'm just someone who loves food and loves talking about the nuance of food, the politics of it, um, what really goes on behind our plate, right? So those are the things that I'm really interested in. Um, what about where you're from and how th- how that ties into like the lens through which you look at food? Oh uh, yeah, so I am Ghanaian American. My parents are from Ghana. I mean, my whole family is from Ghana. Essentially, mm-hmm. I lived there when I was a kid for three years, and then I came back. I that shaped a lot of who I am. Mm-hmm. I I've always pretty much grown up in my culture, even before I went to Ghana. My parents are very staunch Ghanaians. Like they're very proud. (laughs) (laughs) They're very proud to be from Ghana and they're very proud of the culture. So I grew up with a lot of that pride. And so I feel like when I went to Ghana, it just kind of cemented that pride and made me Mm -hmm. really realize this is where, you know, my ancestors come from. This is, this is who I am in essence. Um, How that shaped me as a food writer, I think as a person just in general, just when you live in a different country, when you live in a different country for a while, I think learning a culture and its perspective that's outside of the American Western perspective opens mm. up your eyes to just different ways of living. You're you're a lot more open. You're a lot more forgiving. Um, you see things a little bit differently. Right. Um, so for that, I'm really grateful that my parents like pretty much dropped me off in Ghana for a few years. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll come get you. <laughs> um, and what are your early earliest memories, I guess, of like cooking or food? Do you, do you remember when when or how you learned how to cook? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. So when I was younger, I remember I always wanted to eat like American food because I always ate got candy. And food. <laughs> yeah. I also always wanted McDonald's. I remember like helping out my mom a little bit, but I actually grew up with my stepmother for some of my formative years. Mm-hmm. And so she's the person that actually taught me how to cook. So a lot of times I would just like learn from her, like try to be helpful in the kitchen by cutting onions. And then when she saw I could cut onions well, she let me do the stew. Or she saw <laughs> I could do the stew well, she let me do the soup. So I actually learned from her. And then my mom lived in Ghana for most of the time, most of my um, life actually. So when she came back from Ghana, I kind of learned like more things from her too. So I really learned from the matriarchs in my family. Mm-hmm. My father, bless his soul, is not a great cook. <laughs> um, but, you know, he did his best. But I really yeah. learned a lot from my mom and my stepmother. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to segue. I got one. I, I wish we had time to delve into that. <laughs> the whole patriarchy maybe situation. Off, off the, yes, maybe off the podcast we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's segue. So... You're a food writer in food media. How does a person get into that? Like, I find that actually incredibly fascinating. Like, how do you not only decide to be a writer, but specifically a food writer? So, yeah, that's a great question. So I always had a love of food. When I was in high school, I actually wanted to go to culinary school. But my father, being the African person that he is, was like, (laughs) no, you're going to do a career in STEM. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll be a doctor. But I've, I've always loved food and been fascinated by it. But I think that, you know, as an immigrant, you know, you always hear the narrative that your parents work really hard, so they want you to have a great mm-hmm. career. And a lot of times a great career is something that's in STEM, something that they consider stable. And I, I understand that in retrospect, but as a kid, I didn't really quite mm-hmm. understand that. So I actually, I was pre-med in college and I switched to psychology. And then I worked in social work for a while. And then I went back to get my master's in public relations. So I ended up doing an internship at this like small mom and pop um, food PR firm. And I loved it. Like I would do extra work. I would always be there. I'm like, you're going to this. I want to go. I found myself like really, really interested just talking to my bosses after work about like food and wine and the industry. Right. And it just felt like home. It just felt like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. This is where I belong. Like while I'm sure I make a great doctor, that's not really what I want to do, <laughs> you know? And, you know, I understand my parents sacrifice, but I think, right part of the sacrifice is giving your children the freedom to do what they mm-hmm. want to do in a country that can make it possible, you know? Right. Um, right. So for me, I took food PR. I took that experience and I started uh, with an old partner of mine, our like first food blog called the Black Forks. So that was our way to talk about food and our language in the way that we kind of talked about food. And it was something that we didn't really see too, too many people. There were a few people doing it as well, mm-hmm. but we wanted to be part of that group. And so that's how I got my start with the Black Forks. I did that for a few years, took a little break, and then I started my own um, food blog, Sincerely Bonnie. And then how I got into food writing was, um, Portia Wilson, as you know, is an amazing writer. Um, mm-hmm. She invited me to, a, um, to be on her podcast. And I actually met a former editor, well, not former editor, um, from Food and Wine there. And she was super nice, and I kept in contact with her. And that's how I got my first start in Food and Wine, was through her. 
Oh, nice. um, she, yeah, she came up to me. and was like, you did a really great job. I'd love to know more about you. And I'm like talking to her for a half an hour. And I'm like, oh, what do you do, by the way? She's like, oh, I'm this editor of Hufuna One. I'm like, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> um, so that's how I got my start there. Uh, so it was really interesting. It, was, it wasn't it was as difficult as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I've been fortunate in that regard because I was looking to break into more mainstream food writing while right. still keeping the Sincerely Barney voice, but I didn't necessarily know how to do it. I think, you know, writing for your own blog is a lot different than writing for a mainstream publication. It's a lot more the same thing, right? Like you're writing your own voice and making sure that the copy is great. Mm-hmm. But it's also, there's also things that go on in freelance world that has an independent food blogger or food person you might not necessarily know about. So that was just like a really nice way to just transition from blogging to doing more of the mainstream writing. Right. So, yeah. Um, there's a lot to unpacking there. <laughs> I'm trying to see where do I want to go first. Um, So maybe let's talk just about Sincerely Vani. So that's your blog. What kind of um, stories do you write about? Um, Where do you get inspiration for to come up with, you know, um, topics or themes or people to profile if you do that? Mm Mm-hmm. So sincerely, Vani, I didn't want to just make my personal diary because that's for my own personal. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about food through my personal lens. Okay. So for me, just always looking for really interesting stories about the African diaspora, about my life. Like I talked about rejecting patriarchy in the kitchen because, you know, a lot of times, and I'm not going to say not all West African cultures, but a lot of West African cultures is very much you know, the man is the head of the household. He doesn't do any of the quote unquote women's work, like cooking and cleaning. And that's what we are left to do as women. And I want to talk about fighting that because I personally did not like growing up like that. And it's not something that I want to teach my future children. So it's just thinking about food and thinking about my life through a personal lens and in a way that's authentic to my voice and authentic to me. Um, For me, you may not agree with what I say, but I know right. that what I say is true to me and it's in my genuine voice and that's right. all that matters. No, well, that's interesting. And yeah, I, I encourage people. I, I really like the layout of your website. And some of the, you. I, I really think people, um, yeah, obviously I'll put a link to that so people can check it out because you're one of the few voices out there that's sharing from our perspective, um, which I think is really, really important. Um, I appreciate so in that. terms of freelancing, could you give us a sense of what that looks like? One, just from a general curiosity for the audience, and then it'd be specifically people that are interested in getting into that space. Like, what does it look like to be a freelancer? Are you constantly pitching? Like, what, what, I mean, obviously you, you were, um, you had the good fortune to run into that food and wine editor, but outside of that, like, what's, um, it must not be that easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm making it sound easy. <laughs> it, it's not. Um, yeah, I just, her name is Jordana Rothman. I should shout her okay. out, by the way. She's yeah. super nice. And she read my blog and she like put my blog out there on Twitter and was like, this is a great voice. And I appreciated her for that. So I know that not every freelancer gets that same opportunity. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, 
I'm sorry, your question was like how to get into freelancing and stuff, right? Yeah, and just like how how does that work? So if I decide to be um, to become like a freelancer, a food writer freelancer, how am I constantly pitching? Am I always looking for mm-hmm. how do I get in touch with publications to write my stories essentially and make sure that I'm eating? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Well, I will say number one, I learned this the hard way, and I le- but I learned this pretty quickly. Um, you kind of have to work up to where you're freelancing you're able to afford your bills so right when I freelance I also did a whole bunch of things on the side um I had to make a little bit of that sacrifice because that meant that I didn't write as consistently as I did but also meant that I did other things like social media and photography um on the side to supplement my income so Mm. I think the first thing you have to decide and tell yourself is that you're not going to go from zero to 100 quickly that you may have to pick up a couple of side hustles it's okay to have a full-time job in freelance I know that some people are like mm-hmm. oh you're not a real freelancer if you don't have a full-time yeah. job but honestly people have responsibilities right? right like I send money home to my family you know there are a lot of people who are immigrants who do the same thing mm-hmm. so you may not have the same flexibility financially have somebody else who you know parents pay for their car or right. <laughs> so keep that in mind I think a lot of times when you hear freelancers and you you hear that you know they're making this kind of money you don't really realize what's going on in the background right. yeah um for anybody that wants to start freelancing I would say get on food media twitter twitter it is the bane of my existence but it's also <laughs> extremely useful um I would first start by following editors I'm giving advice that I don't really use as often but it works guys <laughs> <laughs> um follow follow editors like figure out who they are what makes them tick um follow on like food news so like go on all the blogs the websites see what people are talking about uh don't be afraid to pitch I think how I learned how to pitch was I asked people how to pitch I'm like hey like I see that you're doing this how did you do that Mm. don't be afraid to ask because pitching is hard in the sense that you have to condense your whole story in what two three hundred words max right you have to make it really interesting you have to keep in mind that the editor is getting plenty of pitches every single day they're overwhelmed they're stressed so how do you stand out in the inbox right and that's not a skill that comes to a lot of folks intuitively so don't be afraid to ask like writers even online if you don't know them um if they can give you some advice, I mean, keep in mind that some people may say no because that is an ask on their time and, you know, time is precious, right. but it doesn't hurt to ask anyway. Um, I personally love this group called Study Hall. The website is studyhall.xyz. Mm. Okay. And if you are, I know it's interesting, interesting website, <laughs> but if you are a media worker of color, it's only a dollar a month. And study hall to me has been one of the most invaluable resources because yeah. you have a whole bunch of freelancers talking about everything about how to get paid well, how to pitch. They even have a section called like pitches that work. And it's just a great community of freelancers that do a whole bunch of things from like people who work in beauty to politics, to sports, to food. And I will probably recommend that as like the number one resource that okay. I need. Um, oh, great. Number two. Uh, number three, like don't be afraid of rejection. Like you will write, your pitches will get rejected. Um, if the editor is nice enough, they may say like, hey, let's go with this angle instead. Right. You are going to be pitching constantly. I would say find your tribe, find your community of freelance writers um, from anywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be the industry that you work in, but if it mm-hmm. is, that's even better. And like talk to them because a lot of times writing is a very much an isolating thing. You do it, you know, at home on your laptop. Right. 
And sometimes you need people to bounce ideas off of or just to talk. I mean, for me, Cassandra Rosario, Who Before Love, is like one of my dearest friends. She's also a great resource. She's a writer Mm -hmm. as well. So you need that community of people because sometimes things happen. You're like, what the? And you just need to talk to somebody and say like, am I going crazy here? You know? Yeah. you know, find your people, go on Twitter and studyhall.xyz is a, it's a great resource for upcoming freelancers. Cool. Um, so I was, I, I was reading one of the, um, the stories that you wrote on For Taste, mm-hmm. Fufu's Many Faces. Mm-hmm. And I thought one that was interesting in that, like a lot of, <laughs> for better or for worse, as, um, more Western media is looking to diversify their food content. A lot of the initial stories, a lot of the stories that are coming out on food about West Africa is is about jollof, right? So there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of different takes on jollof. And so it was one refreshing to see, you know, this piece on fufu and how you, I was wondering how you were able to sell this and like who, when you pitched it or, you know, based on the conversation, who was, who's your intended audience? Ooh, great question. So the Fufu story is something that I wanted to do maybe close to a year ago. Okay. Cause like you said, a lot of times when we talk about jollof, it's a lot of times we talk about jollof. Right. And <laughs> I think it's one of those foods where, you know, if you're not a West African, it's not too quote unquote intimidating for you. Like right. it looks like orange rice. So you're like, oh, yeah. paella. Yeah. Oh, you know, yellow rice, you know? <laughs> and I think, yeah. exactly. And I think sometimes as Africans, we tend to accommodate other people instead of standing mm. strong in what we believe in, in our food. And so I didn't want to do jollof. So I'm just like, there's so much more to our food and our culture than jollof. Even in Ghana, Ghana is a relatively small country, but there's so many ethnic groups that cook so many different kinds right. of food. Then why are we just talking about jollof, you know? So yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You're good. No, I was going to say that, so, so I, I'm of two minds. This, when this jollof conversation comes up, I'm always of two minds, right? So on the mm-hmm. one hand, I think that, jollof as the dish itself is overrated <laughs> there's like i just think there's just a lot more interesting food right um, right that you can have whether it's from ghana or from senegal or nigeria or whatever mm-hmm. um, but on the other hand i think that it's like you pointed out it's like a good entry point or a good even conversation starter and <laughs> literally so i'm in new york this weekend and i was walking down the street in midtown somewhere and some random person stopped me to ask where I was from and it was based on where, what I was wearing and I said I was from Ghana and he was like whoa you guys are the ones that have the best jollof right <laughs> and you know I was like I didn't want to roll my eyes but I feel like for for people that's a good like identity I don't know like cultural identification thing and yeah. so from that perspective I don't think it's like so bad that if that's how you know, people are going to identify or, you know, it's a double-edged sword, I think, in some ways. No, it is, because, like, that guy's like, yes, we do have the best jollof rice. I'm glad you, you know, acknowledge, <laughs> you know, basic facts. Nigerians don't come for me. <laughs> but also, it's just, like, there is so much, I mean, right. even me as a Ghanaian, I'm Fantine ever. And there's so much food that I, I haven't even eaten because right. I've never been to Hope before. I've never been to Tamale. Right. You know, I don't have Ghana relatives. And there's 
even my friends who are gone, they'll give me food. I'm like, I never ate this. Yeah. You know, there's so much diversity. And it's like, yeah, is jollof rice the hill we want to die? Right, in? definitely not. Definitely yeah, you know, like jollof rice is great, but it's not like it's not that interesting. Yeah, to I don't think that. that we yeah, have. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, on that note, on that jollof <laughs> note, um, we'll take a break here, and then when we come back, we'll speak on representation in in food media and i have a lot to say but i'll hold back (laughs) and let you um sort of drive that conversation so we'll take a break and we'll be right back you're listening to item 13 an african food podcast we'll be right back So we're back. Um, so I had said that we were going to talk about representation in food media, but Bonnie reminded me during the break that she actually didn't share the story of um, how that fufu story came about. So we're going to do that first, and then we'll talk about representation. So yes, how the fufu story came about. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, it was something that I wanted to write about for a while. Um, I pitched it specifically to taste because they do this really interesting kind of like takes on home cooking and cooking from different cultures. Okay. Um, so I knew it would be a good fit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, why fufu? Because I get tired of talking about jollof rice. <laughs> and fufu sounds, it sounds like something simple, right? Like a lot of people, just, if you're not from West Africa, you describe it as a dough or a dumpling, which right. it is not. Fufu is intricate, it's involved, it's labor intensive, it's a beautiful thing, right? And it's something that I grew up with and it's one of those things where I'm starting to appreciate my food a lot more just for the labor of it because everything that people think is cool now, farm to table, you know, picking up, you know, the lettuce from the ground and putting it in a salad. That's what we do back at home. I, I am telling you. So it's, it's so incredible. So I'm going to, um, I do want to talk about it now, but I'm going to this food innovation um, event next week in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things we're talking about is like food, farm to table, food sustainability, um, food as medicine Mm. and I jumped on the planning team late for this but we're trying to um, craft different panels or whatever and some of the questions they were asking I was like you know what guys like some of this is just it's normal it's like I I can't believe we are actually having to have this Mm. as a discussion Mm -hmm. and so I started talking to them about like examples of how you know different things my mom would do like how we grew up treating food right and so I inadvertently talked myself into having an Africa panel but that's like a whole other conversation but and then like and and maybe this is actually segues into representation because if I Mm -hmm. wasn't there the conversation was going to be purely on a western focus on like how do we do that but there are solutions I started I started talking about fonio for example uh, that's Mm -hmm. naturally good we don't need to processed like make processed gluten there's a right. lot of naturally occurring like gluten cassava is gluten free mm-hmm. um and so the fact that africa is the, the fact that africa is missing from this conversation is just like a whole anyway <laughs> like no, i told you i have like fast. i can get into my feelings about <laughs> some of this stuff so. um but you know i'm not gonna um take over the conversation here but yeah that just, no, you like, bring a good point uh, I was just like uh anyway <laughs> yeah because no you you bring a good point where like Africa is the second biggest continent in the world we get 
you know, we get exports from other countries. I mm-hmm. mean, you hear about the stuff that they put in our palm oil and the plastic they put in our right. rice. Like we make our own rice. We make our own palm oil. My grandmother used to have a palm oil tree and literally one of my uncles would go cut up, you know, go cut the palm from the palm tree and we will roast palm nuts and make our own palm oil. This was, you know, this is what everybody does in Ghana, right? Like it's not, it's not like this thing that right. it's not to be taken for granted, but it's not a big deal. It's like, yes, your food comes from the ground. You get it from the ground. Like, what else do you need to know but it's very true it's like when we talk about food africa is not part of the conversation and i mean i think there's a thousand and one reasons for that (laughs) and like you said we may not have enough time to get into that that but a lot of it has to do with colonialism racism you know people exporting us for our resources and then leaving us to shit i'm sorry if i I don't know if i can curse but (laughs) you know leaving us high and dry and you know exporting our people our resources our intelligence because African people, we are intelligence, you know, we get exploited. Yeah. And then when we talk about some of the political things that go on in our countries, it's not necessarily for the benefit of our citizens, you know? So, you know, that's a whole other, Yeah. <laughs> you know, whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess that's the conversation we're having though. And I, I wanted to get from your perspective, at least what your experience has been like, um, as you're trying to, you know, get your stories out there from like your your lens as a first gen um african mm-hmm. um just if you have any ex- specific experiences or just generally what your experience has been and how you try to navigate that um, that's a good question i i think honestly my experiences have been mostly good not perfect but mostly good yeah. i think i'm writing at a time where africa is interesting to people because right. Africa is a quote-unquote next big thing when it's like no right. we we've actually, been here <laughs> yeah like if you believe in evolution like we create a civilization so no we were actually here before you but sure we're the next big thing you know um I think that food media is really interesting where people don't want trite stories people don't want the same old same old people right. same old cliches people are looking for something different and that's what Africa offers you know something different you know the great unknown or you know right. whatever people want to call it and I think for me it's interesting because I'm kind of on two minds of this it's like one point on one end I want to say okay well I want to write all these stories and on the other end it's like I don't want to feel like I'm exploiting my own continent you know what right I mean? yeah because I think the the mistake people make is like oh well you're from Ghana you must know all about Ghana all about West Africa it's like no I don't if you live in America, if you, you know, if you were born and raised in America and your family comes from America, can you say that you know all about America? No, right. because that's almost impossible. So I kind of don't want to fall into the trap of being a quote unquote African expert because I am not. I just speak from my own experiences. Of course, I always do my research like I did for the Fufu article. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had to do a lot of research into that. Um, but I don't want to be known as an expert because I only thing I'm an expert in is my own experiences right. and the way I look at my life and that's it and if I could speak to that eloquently then I'm fine but I don't want to be known as you know the expert in African cuisine right yeah. as a great researcher of African cuisine absolutely <laughs> um but I think it's interesting now because if people want that story but it kind of makes me wonder do you want it because you're genuinely curious or do right. you want it because it's the next big thing you're right trying to hop it's on a it. trend so, yeah it's a trend yeah. that's exactly right now. Yeah. and you're trying to be a pioneer of that trend so you can right. so um yeah <laughs> and then 
I, you know, as you talk about that, I was actually just thinking, just came, you know, I was just thinking about um, Top Chef mm-hmm. last season, right? Yeah, it was just last season. Yeah. It's not been a long time. With um, uh, Chef Eric, Erica Jepong, who is in Ghanaian representing. Yes, who is? Uh, yes. <laughs> Which for me was, for me, was one of um, the, I don't know. I don't know if it actually was the best, but I think just, I just felt like. In my um, opinion, he was the best. No, I'm not saying if he was the best. I'm saying mm-hmm. if the, the season was the best in that I felt like uh, I was so invested in Eric's story that I probably mm-hmm. read everything. Like after every episode, I was reading all the takes and like was just into this episode. Mm-hmm. I think it was partly because, uh, I'm not partly, probably because um, Chef Eric was on there. And not that he was just on there as a token, like he killed, I felt like he killed it all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um. So we get to that season finale and for this, I don't know, that season finale with three finalists and Eric, you know, they left them just for the, for the benefit of those that um, are not familiar with the show. When the three finalists were chosen, they were given, um, they were told that they were going to do this multiple course dinner and they had to come up with a theme or how they were going to present it. And Eric had shared that he was going to do this transatlantic slave, the progression, his progression of courses was going to reflect the transatlantic slave trade and I thought oh my god this is genius I can't wait to see this is going to be amazing Mm -hmm. but then the twist I guess which tv producers have to to (laughs) add whatever for ratings or whatever it was um they made them just make that first course and then based on that they cut an extra person and like I'm not gonna waste there's all sorts of stories and you can watch it online somewhere I'm sure but the long story short was that Eric was eliminated Mm-hmm. And I just the the way in which it happened, I just felt like one, I was obviously strongly disappointed, but I also felt like there was just something off. It's gonna be my PC way of saying there's just something yeah. off about how it all ha- went down. Mm-hmm. And so in my usual fashion, like I went online trying to find different takes and it just seemed like everybody was like moving along okay that you know that was disappointing but we're moving on and then I found your piece that like spoke to the core of exactly how I was feeling that like no this this guy was robbed and like I can't believe not not a lot more not a lot more people are talking about it and I think Mm -hmm. that again part of the conversation on representation and making sure that there are enough diverse voices because the take from most of quote-unquote mainstream was, you know, it's unfortunate, but let's move on. But I thought there were just yeah. a lot of other layers to this that people were not taking into account um, that you covered in your piece, right? So you talked about represent- uh, representation, especially at that judge's table. There were not even just at that finale episode. There were a couple of times where I thought, and I don't know if you remember, there was a point where I think even Eric was frustrated, <laughs> mm-hmm. where he had to push back. It's like, if you don't know what the dish is supposed to taste and feel like, you can't say, oh, this is too great. I remember he made some goosey something, and they're like, oh, it's too gritty. And he's like, that's the way it's supposed to yes. be. It's not, this is not French cuisine. Yeah, it's so not a puree. Just, right. So you're not going to, you can't judge something that, you. I don't know. It's like, anyway. So I found that piece and that again, for me, one is example of like how important your work is Thank you. and just um, 
anyway, but I wanted to get your thoughts on how, what you thought about, you know, that season, that particular episode, and then like that move to write the, you know, to write the story. Uh, who, I mean, you pretty much encapsulated all of my <laughs> thoughts. Uh, I watched it honestly because of Eric. <laughs> right. I can't remember the last time I watched top stuff that right. faithfully, but I mean, I loved Eric on the show because he was unapologetically Ghanaian, was unapologetically yeah. Bronx. Like he's like, this is where I'm from. This is where my people is from. You're going to love it. You're going to leave it, but you right. will love it because I am a great chef. And he showed that time and time and again, episode through episode. And so you make a good, really good point when you say that, you know, when he got eliminated and everyone was like, okay, well, unfortunate, but you know, let's move on. And it's like, no, 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 no. There has been so many things that has gone, has transpired prior to the elimination. We have to talk about all of that. Like the gritty texture of the goosey stew, you know, when he made the uh the Congolese sauce with the right. fufu, fufu, and I think right. Tom Colicchio was like this is like a dumpling I think he said right. yeah but I can understand why he said yeah like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to cook here so you know I'm just gonna tell you whatever you want to hear and like we haven't really seen that love representation right. in African food in so long and I love the way he did it because a lot of times people think Africa even to this day even among people who claim that they're liberals they think Africa is a place of like typhoid fever and malaria yeah. and you know, people who are primitive and don't know how to cook. And it's like, no, Africa is a place of innovation. It's a place of beauty. It's a place of intelligence. And he brought all that to the table for America to see that. And I think I I haven't seen anything like that on a platform that big in a long time, you know? I mean, we have our own shows. Like, you know, we have our Demand Africa channel. We have our, you know, Nollywood and Ghanaian movies. But to bring it to that level like Top Chef, I thought that was amazing. The right. fact that he just used flavors that we all grew up with. I mean, we all meaning has Ghanaians grew up with time and time again. And it's- Hey guys, so we had some technical difficulties while recording with Vani and had to end the conversation to, to fix them at this point. Here's the rest of the conversation where Vani continues her thoughts on Top Chef and Chef Eric Ajapong's representation on the show. Um, what was I saying? So yeah, what Eric, Chef Eric did on Chop Chef was beautiful in terms of bringing African culture beyond jollof rice. That should be, that should be, I should actually, I should rename this podcast Beyond Jollof Jollof Rice. Rice. (laughs) I'm making the tagline. You can gladly take it. I wanted to live on Beyond Me, so... <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Um. I. I. I just. I just. I love what he did, and he was just like he killed it. He killed it. Yeah, every I know. Time. There were so many times I like honestly was like I can't even like I just had tears. I was like I can't right. believe like this is. It was just um. Anyway, yeah. out of this world, amazing. So good for him, and I, I'm glad he's gone on to do. It sounds like he's. He's gone on to do um, other things like off of his uh, Top Chef experience. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, we're going to wrap up shortly here. What's next for you? What's next for Vonnie? And, well, 2019 is almost over. So let's push you to 2020. <laughs> so what are we doing? How are we leveling up in 2020? Ooh, how are we leveling up in 2020? Ooh. 
Uh, I haven't even thought about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't make my goal for 2020 no, yet. No, no, I'm going to give you a preview, though. <laughs> um, great question. Continue to freelance. I took a little bit of a break from it, but definitely want to come back 2020 strong. Definitely talk and just write more stories about the African diaspora, about my experiences with food, about just, I'm always looking for really interesting stories and what is the story behind the story, mm. you know? Um, I think my background is interesting too because I also grew up, like I grew up in Newark for most of my life. Like if I wasn't in Newark, I was in Ghana, you know? Yeah. And so just also having that identity as well is something that I've been wanting to explore mm. in a more outward fashion, just kind of like just growing up in two different cultures. Right. And just, you know, how, how do you navigate that? Because that's, that's a lot of our experiences as first and second gen um, immigrants, you know? And to just continue to move the conversation about foods of the diaspora and foods of the continent forward. Um, my hope is that this is not just another trend because this is what people have been eating and growing for millennia. And that Africa eventually becomes not just a trend, but it becomes part of the culinary canon, you know? Right. Like, people talk about French food and Italian food and American food and New American. I still don't really know what New American <laughs> is. Whatever. I want I want the foods of the continent to be up there. I mean, to me, in my head, it, it already is up there. I'm just waiting for everybody else to, you know, get with the program. Right. <laughs> um, and for me, not just to talk about African food has, you know, if you're not Morocco or South African, you know, your food doesn't count. You know, right. I want foods from almost, not almost every country of the continent to be represented. I want that diversity to be seen so people right. can see that Africa is a wonderful and beautiful place and like the world will be nothing without it. Right. Strong statement, but I believe <laughs> That's a really great note to end on. But before we transition to rapid fire, can you remind people where they can find you online, on social media? Mm-hmm. Well, you can catch me at, at Cecilia Vani on Instagram and Twitter. And you can catch me on www.sincerelyvani.com. Great. Okay. Rapid fire questions. Really quick. They're not difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, just so people get to know a little bit more about you. So uh, here we go. Morning person or night person? Oh, definitely a morning person. Oh, good. Um, starter or dessert? Oh, dessert. Oh, through and through. <laughs> and then when you're feeling lazy, what do you like to cook? Mm, I don't cook anything. Honestly, I just order food. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's the way to go. <laughs> that's the way to go. And then if you could live on one dish for the rest of your life, what would that be? Ooh. I can never, I never tied a Benku Okra stew. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but I eat that more often than I want to uh, admit right now. Do, you, do but, you make that in, do you make that in New no, York? No, rarely. Okay, yeah. No, okay. If I feel like it, me. yeah. But there's a Ghanaian, um, Ivorian uh, buffet. Right. Not too far from my house. I just go there because to make Okra <laughs> stew would take forever. I'm like, yeah. well, they already made it for me. <laughs> it tastes good. I'm just going to go there. And then to that point, what's your favorite African restaurant anywhere in the world? Ooh, so I like Accra restaurant, but the one in the Bronx. Oh, to, interesting. To me, they have the best 
like Ghanaian food I've tasted. That in a place that I knew in high school, but they closed years and years and years Interesting. ago. Interesting. So I went to I went to Accra restaurant in Harlem yesterday, mm-hmm. just because I was I was in Harlem for the um Africa Restaurant Week Festival. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, I was like, I'm there. I might as well try it for the first time. So I, so I should try. I mean, it was okay, but I guess I should be trying the one in the Bronx. Yeah, you should. That's why everybody said they're like, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, uh, like, I hope this is not this doesn't go on the podcast. But I like, <laughs> I like the one in Harlem. But the one in the Bronx to me is a lot more representative of like the flavors that you yeah. grow up. Whereas okay. I feel like the Aquarium in Harlem is kind of tailored for the other communities around which is also great but yeah. if I'm eating Ghanaian food right. I'm eating, like I want to feel like somebody found the food themselves <laughs> and they had their sweat in it and all exactly <laughs> the Ghanaian sweat that's what I want <laughs> well that's interesting because when I was looking it up to to go someone had said that it was um it was not made by Ghanaians so that's a whole other story anyway okay oh really hmm. yeah we'll, we'll talk about was, that later yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you so much for that time. This is like such an interesting topic for me. And I think you were the perfect person to talk Thank about you. it with. I actually, like I've been talking off the top of my head. I actually think this would be a good um, in-person conversation. But we can talk about that offline. But yes. I think it um, should be a great conversation to have with the community too. But I appreciate your time. Thank you for talking Thank you. with me. And um, yeah. Hopefully people enjoyed this as much as we did. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this, was, this was really fun. It was, <laughs> it was a good way to start my Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So thank, thank you, you for so that. Much. Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Thank you.